Hi, and welcome to Harvest Bible Chapel, Kuala Lumpur Online. We hope that the following message will be a blessing to you as you seek to walk with the Lord in spirit and in truth. For more information about our church, please visit www.harvestkl.org or click the link in the description below. Well, good morning. Uh, It is such an honor to be standing in front of you to open God's Word and to share it. Um, Well, let me be honest. um, It feels a little bit weird to be uh, having a camera uh, in front of me instead of you. Uh, But these are the conditions we're in. But on the flip side, uh, let me also say that uh, one advantage of recording a sermon is that I can actually re-record if I need to. Uh, so this is take number 84, right? Just kidding. Um, my name is Chan Shonggao or Shonggao Chan. Uh, my surname is Chan and my given name is actually Shonggao. And it confuses people because um, it's in two different words. Um, and uh, I get sometimes people call me Shong, uh, but in reality, my uh, given name is actually Shonggao. Uh, my only claim to fame is that uh, I've got a very famous and very distant uncle in Hollywood. His name is Jackie. Right? Um, the title for the message today is Rise, Let Us Go From Here, Because We Have Hope. Uh, but before we start, let's just um, open with a word of prayer, shall we? Uh, Lord, I come to you. I ask, Lord, that you would use me as your vessel to bring forth your word clearly. And the Holy Spirit, I ask, Lord, that uh, you would uh, convict our hearts, uh, both mine and the audience as well. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's get started. Um, The talk is entitled, Rise, Let Us Go From Here, Because We Have Hope. Um, I've divided the talk into three divisions. The first division is Master Servant, uh, John 13, verse 1 to 30. The second division is called Claims, Covenants, Commands, and Cautions. It's from 13 verse 31 to 16 verse 33. And the third division is called Truly, Truly, and the Hope. Uh, and I'm be covering all four books, uh, John th- all four chapters rather, John 13 to 16. So it's four chapters, a lot of material to cover. So let's just get started. I want to start by uh, quoting Dr. John Walters, and it says, The Bible is written for you, not to you. Yeah, a little bit of a play with words there. And what he's trying to say is this. So uh, imagine the book of John. John wrote the Bible to the people of his time, right? But he also wrote the Bible for us today. So when he wrote it to the people of his time, he would use words in his culture, uh, illustrations in his that would make sense in his culture. Um, he would not write things about electricity or the internet, for example, right? But God also used John to write these words for us, yeah? So we can draw lessons and principles from it, right? So with that, I want to just start um, the sermon or this this uh, talk with the context yeah uh, of, of the book of John um, now the book of John as the name implies is written by John he is believed to be the son of Zebedee uh, he has a brother his name is James and the two of them combined they are known as the sons of thunder in mark chapter 13 verse 17. Why thunder? It's basically trying to depict their fieriness, right? They are short-tempered. What's unique about this book is this is a first-hand eyewitness testimony of Jesus. Yeah. Uh, In fact, uh, John tries to remove himself from uh, from the book altogether. He doesn't even mention his name in the book. Uh, Instead, he calls himself the disciple whom Jesus loved. And you'll find this in chapter 13, verse 23, 19, verse 34, and 20, verse 2. Now, John has a very specific purpose in writing this book, and he mentions it to us. And you'll find this in uh, chapter 20, verse 30. And it reads, Now Jesus did many other signs 
in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So John wrote the book just to uh, help us uh, believe that Jesus is Christ, the Son of God, and when we believe, we may have eternal life with him. Right? So that's his objective. Um, the passage that we're covering, chapter 13 to 16, took place in the Last Supper. Yeah? Uh, and it's commonly called the, uh, the final discourse or the last discourse or the farewell message or discourse. And it's trying to, um, uh, it's trying to convey to us uh, the words that Jesus spoke to his disciples before he went to the cross. Yeah? Um, and so right smack in the middle of uh, these uh, four chapters, in chapter 14, verse 31, you will find the phrase, Rise, let us go from here. It sounds familiar. That's the theme for our church 2021. Okay. So let's uh, get started. The first division, the master servant, John 13, verse 1 to 30. I'll start with a, a photograph, and this is a uh, this is a picture taken from the movie Passion of Christ. And as you can see, uh, the disciples are sitting on the floor, and the table is about one feet uh, one feet tall. Um, and it's contrary to our common uh, notion that the table you know is higher, and we'll be sitting on the chair to have a meal instead, right? Uh, but this is how it's it would be like. But scholars also believe that uh, the table is not uh, a long table, but rather a U-shaped table, right? Just as what's shown here. And why U-shaped? Because that allows the servants to go right in the middle and to serve the food. Yeah? And um, based on what we know from the Bible, Jesus would have been sitting right in the middle, and John would be seated on Jesus' right-hand side, and Judas would have been seated on Jesus' left-hand side. Now, the way they sat is kind of interesting uh, because they would not sit straight like this with the feet crossed. They would instead sit like this on the side. They would use their left hand and recline on the table. They would use the right hand and grab the food to eat. Okay, So when you sit like that, um, there is no left and right. There is just a front and a back. And um, uh, the gospel tells us that John is actually seated in front of Jesus because there's a passage that says John reclined onto Jesus' chest. Not, not like John is trying to use Jesus' chest as a pillow, but what he's trying to say is that John leaned back towards Jesus' chest to communicate with him. Right. So what it also means is that Jesus uh, would have uh, taken the morsel and to pass on to Judas in this manner. Okay. Uh, we think Peter sat somewhere in the far corner. Um, we don't really know which end of the far corner, but uh, far corner because um, you will notice in the passage that uh, it says uh, Peter motioned to John to ask Jesus the question, "Who is the betrayer?" Okay, so he would have uh, he would have sat somewhere far, and um, and so um, this is a picture, a painting of the final discourse, and I would say this is probably a closer depiction of how they sat. Now, very important to know when you read this passage is that Jesus knows everything. He knows his identity. He knows. His time on earth is going to end soon. He knows how he's going to die. He knows who is the person that's going to betray him. And he even knows how are the disciples going to respond. And so um, the whole chapter 13 to 16 is trying to convey to the disciples, hey, uh, this is what's going to happen and be prepared for it. Okay. Now the food would have probably been served. Yeah, or They would have been eating. And halfway eating, it tells us that Jesus got up and he started washing the disciples' feet from one end of the table to the other end of the table. Okay. Um, now, washing feet is, uh, is actually a common thing to do. 
because back in those days, uh, people walk a lot. And back in those days, the roads are just gravel roads, sand, dusty. So when you arrived at someone's home, your feet would naturally be dirty. And you would have a slave or a bond servant who would uh, greet you and clean your feet yeah, before you enter the house. So if, um, if they are already having a meal, it is probably safe to assume that their feet are already clean. But Jesus got up to wash their feet as a symbol as a reminder to the disciples to uh, wash each other's feet, to serve one another. Okay, And so Jesus started washing. Now, uh, when Jesus reached Peter, so Peter wasn't the first to get his feet washed, but when Jesus reached Peter, Peter says, Jesus, um, if you're going to wash me, you might as well wash my whole body as well too. Right? Uh, that's Peter, ultra-competitive. Um, but you need to also understand um, that prior to this event, uh, the mother of James and John actually approached Jesus in Matthew 20 to ask Jesus, Hey Jesus, would you mind if James and John sits on your right and left hand when you are in heaven? Yeah, Those are uh, positions of authority, right hand and left hand of Jesus. Yeah? And so I think in some ways probably Peter felt threatened and he wanted to make sure that he's not left out as well. And so maybe that's why Peter says, you know, Jesus, please wash my whole body as well too. I want to make sure I'm super clean in front of you. But Jesus responded by saying, there's no need. You're already clean. Yeah, we only need to wash your feet. And I think the application here is uh, lowly service where there's a need yeah, is required. Um, and interestingly enough, uh, uh, Jesus already knew uh, who was going to betray him, and he dropped his first hint in chapter 13, verse 10. Not all of you are clean. That's the first hint. But the disciples didn't get it. Okay. Another point to note is this. Uh, Jesus washed Judas' feet. You got that? Jesus washed Judas' feet. He knew he was going to betray him, but Jesus still washed Judas' feet out of affection, right? Um, then Jesus, Jesus then said, you know, um, hey, one of you uh, is going to betray me tonight. Okay, um, I think it took the disciples by surprise or maybe they were just busy chit-chatting and they weren't paying attention. But Peter paid attention and he caught it and he signaled and motioned to John to ask, who is the betrayer? Yeah? And Jesus says, the one that I will offer this morsel to will betray me. Okay. What is a morsel? A morsel is essentially an unleavened bread yeah, that's used to wrap a piece of, uh, a piece of lamb. And that uh, unleavened bread is dipped into bitter herbs. Um, and then it's offered to somebody, in this case Judas. Now, uh, in those days, um, offering a morsel to a person is equivalent to honoring a person. So on top of washing his feet, Jesus honored Judas and he used that as the sign to indicate who will betray him. Okay. I don't know about you, but to me, it almost felt like Jesus loved Judas and he's trying to appeal to him. right? Uh, but uh, yeah, Judas succumbed to, to, to his weaknesses. I think the lesson for us in this division is quite clear. We are to serve everyone as Jesus served. Yeah, We are to serve everyone as Jesus served. Um, let me give you a bit of an illustration to drive this point through. Um, so here is a picture of a, uh, a piece of paper, um, an invoice actually. And what happened was a kid yeah, approached his mother and he said, Mom, this is for you. And the mother was busy cooking and she paused for a while, looked at the note uh, and it was an invoice. And on it, it says, for cutting the grass, $5. For cleaning my room, $1. For going to the store, for you, six fifty. For babysitting my kid brother while you went shopping, nine twenty-five. Presumably, the brother was a brat. That's why it cost more. Uh, taking out the garbage, $1. Uh, for getting good report card, 
uh, $5 for cleaning up the yard, $2 in total, $29.75. The mother grinned and she paused for a while and then she flipped the paper and wrote these words. Uh, for nine months, I carried you while you grew inside me. No charge. For the nights, you made me stay up because I had to doctor you and I prayed for you. No charge. For the times uh, and tears that you've caused through the years, for the trying times and tears that you've caused through the years, no charge. Uh, for the night filled with dread and worries, no charge. For the toys, the food, the clothes that we bought for you, and even wiping your tears and wiping your nose, no charge. And when you add it up, son, my love for you, no charge. So the son was obviously touched, taken aback, uh, and he flipped the paper back and he wrote these words, paid in full, right? In recognizing the mother's sacrifice for him. This is a heartwarming story. And I think if you were to stop at recognizing or acknowledging that uh, uh, it's paid in full, uh, then I think you would have fallen short. Yeah? Um, this story is often used uh, to depict God's grace to us and paid in full is to basically say that, you know, uh, God has done so much for us, right? And everything is paid in full. But if you stop at paid in full, then I think you've fallen short on how you should actually respond, which is you need to reciprocate the action, right? Uh, for example, for example, let me give you another example. Um, supposing you have uh, a master who buys a slave, okay? He takes the slave home, and as soon as they arrive home, the master turns around and says, my dear slave, you are now free. You are free to go. Okay. If you were a slave, what would you do? I'll tell you what I would do. If I was a slave, I would say, My dear master, I am forever indebted to you. Um, you have given me freedom, and I freely choose to serve you. Not out of obligation, but out of devotion, because of the affection you have shown me. And that's how I would respond to it. Right. I think the lesson for us here is very clear. We are called to serve, right? Um, we are called to serve because we love Jesus. How can you serve? Uh, let me give you a few simple suggestions. Uh, first suggestion, make a commitment to call someone in church on a weekly basis. Yeah, Call them up, encourage them, pray for them, pray with them during the call. Yeah. Um, just five people. Simple enough. Another idea, uh, call the church. Uh, our church has many needs. We, are, uh, we have uh, many people uh, who are in needs as well too. Um, and Just call the church and offer your time. Um, one other way that you can serve is to give your tithing. Yeah, tithing is a service as well. Okay. I will warn you though, that there are dangers, you could be misunderstood, you could be backstabbed, you could be criticized as well. But it comes with it. Yeah, it comes with it. Let me move on to uh, Division 2, uh, the claims, the covenants, the commands, and the cautions. And this is from uh, verse 31, chapter 13, verse 31 to 16, verse 33. Right? Um, again, I'll quote another person. Uh, and it says here, never read a Bible verse yeah, by Greg Cole. Uh, now, what he's trying to say is this. Uh, when you read a verse for completeness, please read what's before the verse and what's after the verse. All the better. Read the whole chapter. And if you can, try and um, understand the whole book as well too. Who wrote the book? Why was the book written? Right? What type of a book is this? Yeah, And if you find that that verse uh, contradicts with some other parts of the Bible, chances are as you have misunderstood the verse. Okay, um, And this is very important, uh, as you'll soon find out. Okay, um, Now, so chapter 13 to 16, 
uh, are just conversations that Jesus had with his disciples, right? And they are very meaningful conversations. And the way I studied it was that I looked at everything that Jesus said, and I basically categorized it as either claims that Jesus made, uh, covenants or promises that Jesus made, uh, commands that Jesus gave, and cautions that Jesus gave as well. Okay. Now, how can you tell? Uh, claims would be things like, I am, Jesus calls himself, I am certain thing. That's a claim. Uh, covenants or promise um, would be things like, I will. Yeah, those are promises. Uh, commands would be things like, you will. Yeah, and caution, I think that's pretty straightforward. Uh, those are negative statements, those are warnings. Yeah. I would also argue that um, claims, um, claims would speak to our hope. Covenant would speak to our hearts. Commands would speak to our hands. And caution would speak to our head. Yeah. Now, um, embedded in chapter 13 to 16, you'll also find uh, seven truly, truly statements. So Jesus starts off the statement with saying, truly, truly. And these are what I call verbal exclamations. We will be covering that in the next division. Okay. Now, um, remember, I said the Bible is written for us, not to us. So the context as you read this is that Jesus is preparing the disciples for the upcoming events. He knows how the disciples are going to react. And, um, but also at the same time, uh, it also applies to us. There are principles and there are messages from Jesus that applies to us today as well. Okay. Now, if you take a look at the Bibles, um, you know the Bible has got verses, has got chapters, and it's got different divisions as well too, right? Uh, and those are great, but the original Bible doesn't come with verses, chapters, and divisions. Those were added later on to help us read the Bible. Um, so what I did was I stripped away, or rather what I did was I uh, put each sentence, one sentence per line, okay? I, I, I discarded the verses, verse numbers, I discarded the chapters and the divisions, and basically, I put one sentence per line, and I basically mark the sentence, or sometimes even a phrase in the sentence. Uh, it, it could be a claim, uh, a covenant, a command, or a caution. And so, uh, for a uh, claim, I marked it as yellow. For a promise or a covenant, I marked it as blue. For a uh, command, I marked it as green. Green for go. Go do what Jesus commanded. For red, it would be caution. Okay, and this is how it looks like. Okay, now, um, I'm going, I don't, uh, time does not permit me to cover all four chapters. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to extract out the claims, the commands, the cautions, and the, the covenants that Jesus made, right? Um, and, uh, and just highlight them to you, yeah? So there are six claims that Jesus makes, and these are big, audacious claims. Yeah, um, And it starts with, uh, my first one is this, Jesus is the exclusive way to God. And you find this in, in chapter 14, verse 6, and 15, verse 1, where Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Yeah, that's a very audacious claim. Uh, Jesus even says, I am divine, which means to say, I am the source of life. Yeah. Uh, Jesus also says things like, uh, God, the Father, and Him are one the same. Chapter 14, verse 7, 9, 10, 11, and even 28b. Yeah. Um, Jesus also says things like, you know, Jesus and God are glorified through each other's actions. And you find this in chapter 13, verse 31, 32. He also claims that he's got a big mansion in heaven, right? Uh, I don't know how you imagine mansion. Uh, I would imagine a very wide piece of land and probably in our modern context, very high condominiums as well too. Uh, but in Jesus' uh, words, uh, he's, got a, he's got a big mansion, right? And later on in the promise, you also find out that he promises to bring us there. 
Jesus also makes some claims about his believers, that his believers are in him and in God. 14, 20, 14, uh, chapter 14, verse 20 to 21. And finally, he also claims that the ruler of the world, could be the earthly rulers as well as even Satan, has no claim on him, that everything is under his control. 14 verse 30. Five promises he makes to us. And it also and, and um, it's not just for the disciples in those days, but it's also to us too, right? Um, Jesus is going away, but he will remain in us. Yeah. Uh, here he's referring to uh, him going to the cross, and he'll be going away. And as he after he gets resurrected, he'll ascend as well too, right? He's going away, and he's going away to prepare uh, his home, and will return for us. Fourteen verse two. Yeah. Um, he will not abandon us. He will, in fact, uh, he promises to return in 14 verse 28. Okay, uh, He will remain in us uh, because uh, he also promises the helper, the Holy Spirit. Right When he leaves, the Holy Spirit will come. Okay, And the Holy Spirit uh, is the spirit of truth. Yeah, uh, And has come from the Father to bear witness of Jesus. This is in chapter 15 verse 26. His role will be to um, uh, convict the world concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. 16 verse 8. Okay, And he will explain things that the disciples cannot understand at that time. I think the Holy Spirit still explains things to us that we cannot understand today as well. And he will guide us in all truth. 16 verse, uh, 16 verse 13. Okay, He will speak on behalf of Jesus and uh, in his authority. 16 verse 13. Right? So there are plenty of uh, promises that Jesus gives us about the Holy Spirit. He gives three more promises, the promises of eternal life. Uh, this is in 14 verse 9 and 14 verse 23. He gives us um, promises that we will be fruitful if we abide in Him. Yeah, uh, And you will find uh, this in 15 verse 5. Okay, um, And He also promises... Um, uh, that us believers yeah, are in God. Okay, that means we have, a, we have a relationship with Him. And he, in fact, He treats us as His friend. This is a promise. He treats us as His friend. 15 verse 15. Okay, uh, And we are chosen by Jesus. 15 verse 16. Commandments. Um, he gives us four important commandments. Uh, first is to love one another. Uh, 13 verse 34 and 35, and you get it again in 15 verse 12 to 14, 16 and 17. Yeah. Uh, he asks us to bear witness of him. Uh, this is in 15 verse 27. Yeah. Um, interesting note though, he only mentions this once, um, and I suspect it's probably because uh, the disciples are not uh, prepared to understand it. And after his resurrection, he reiterates to bear witness of him. Okay. He also commands us to abide in him, to seek him, 13 verse 33, to abide in him and his love, 15 verse 4 and 9. Right? He commands us to bear fruit, to, to prove to be my disciples, he says, in 15 verse 8. And if you love me, you will keep my commandments, 14 verse 15. Yeah. Now, very, very important. Okay, abiding is a. Uh, now let me rephrase that. Uh, abiding to demonstrate our allegiance to Jesus is in effect earning our salvation. You don't abide because you want to earn brownie points from Jesus so that we can get to heaven. No. Okay, we abide because we already love Jesus. It comes as a natural response of our love for Jesus. Think of it this way. Uh, abide is like a litmus paper. You dip into uh, acidic liquid. The litmus paper reacts to it. Okay, The litmus paper didn't make the liquid acidic. It's already acidic. And the litmus paper is just to tell you it's acidic. So abiding in Jesus is an indication of your affection to Jesus. Jesus also commands us not to be troubled. 
yeah, uh, not to be troubled because uh, Jesus is going to go through uh, the crucifixion. There will be persecution. They will, the, 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 the disciples will, will run away. Right? He already knew that. So he says, do not let your hearts be troubled. Uh, 14 verse 27. And it also says that again in 14 verse 1. Right? Um, and he says, um, uh, what do you call the, I have told you before it takes place so that when it does take place, you may believe. 14 verse 29. So his intention for telling you all this is so that you may believe. Okay? Um, caution. Four significant cautions. First and probably the most obvious is about Peter. Okay, 13 verse 36 to 38. And I would sum it up this way. Peter was trying to uh, stay loyal to Jesus in his own strength. Right? He even uh, comes out and says, Jesus, I will never dis uh, uh, I will never leave you, even if they kill me. And Jesus says that uh, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Right? There was also disbelief amongst the uh, the disciples, and you'll find this in chapter 14, verse 9 and 10. Yeah, uh, Jesus says things like, How can you say, Show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? 14, verse 9. There's also a cost of obedience. This is the next caution. Huh? Um, if, if you have a fruitless branch, it will be pruned. 15, verse 2. And anyone that does not abide in Jesus will wither and be thrown into the fire. 15 verse 5. Serious warnings here. There's also extrinsic challenges. The world will hate and persecute Jesus and will do the same to the believers as well. 15 verse 18 to 25 as well as 16 verse 2. Right? So, all in all, we've got claims that Jesus makes. We've got uh, promises or covenants that Jesus makes. We've got um, uh, commands that Jesus gives and cautions that Jesus gives. Right? Um, I'm, I'm going to sum it up this way. The principle for the second division, we are appointed to love and bear witness. That's the command that Jesus gives us. Yeah, that's the key command that Jesus gives us. Now, let me show you a little chart here. This is a dot chart or a dot diagram, okay? And um, you'll notice that um, uh, the dot diagram shows that most of the uh, dots are close to the line, yeah? Uh, and you have one single dot at the top there. So if this was a survey and the dot represents the results from a survey, okay? Uh, and you have one lone dot at the top there, typically what will happen is that they will uh, people will say this is data error. Okay, um, you can joke around. You know, everyone, uh, everyone that's normal is is near the line, and you have one weirdo at the top there, right? That stands out like a sore thumb. Okay, um, this is not a real chart, by the way, but it's a chart that reminds me of what Christian life is like. Okay, because when we love one another, when we serve one another. We are going to stand out. We are going to stand out in the world. We're going to stand out like a sore thumb when we abide in Jesus. We're going to look as a weirdo to the world, right? When we serve, yeah. We, a, a common reaction to weirdos would be they would be questioned, they'd be ridiculed, they'd be mocked, they'd be discarded, and sometimes weirdos also get persecuted as well. The reality is this. When you look at the claims, the cautions, the covenants, and the commands, the reality is that serving Jesus is not going to be convenient or comfortable. Right? Uh, you, you say, I'm busy. I know. We all are. And it's not going to be convenient or comfortable. The reality is 80% uh, of the work that needs to be done in church are done by the 20% of the congregation. It's not going to be fair either, serving God. yeah. Um, and it will cost you. Uh, sometimes you'll be asked to do things that are not, uh, that's not natural to you. yeah. You'll be asked to step out of your comfort zone. Guess what? Speaking in front of you, especially in a camera, 
is not my natural inclination either. Um, and, you know, we just serve. And we serve Jesus because we love Jesus, not because we want to grab, uh, you know, accolades or uh, uh, what uh, praises from men. No, we serve Jesus, even if we don't get praises from men or acknowledgement from men. Yeah? And it's important to also recognize that when we serve, the ride is going to be bumpy at best. It's going to be full of challenges. You could be mocked, you could be criticized. Yeah, uh, These are all part and parcel of it. But we serve Jesus because we love Jesus. That's our motivation. Let me quickly move on. Uh, time has uh, just passed by really quickly. Uh, the next division, truly, truly, and the hope. Right? I'm going to um, just bring your attention back to chapter 13 all the way to 16. And what you will find is this, as you read that four uh, chapters, you will find that there are seven occurrences of the words truly, truly. Okay? Seven occurrences. Um, you'll see different variations of it depending on the translation, verily, verily, or very truly, or truly I say to you. Okay? The Greek translation of that is amen, or the Hebrew is amen. Okay? Or it, literally it means so be it. Okay? Now, it's kind of weird, right? Because you would say amen at the end of a prayer, not at the start. Okay? Amen basically means I am in agreement with you. I endorse what you say. Yeah, I'm accepting what you say. So when someone prays and they end with an amen and you end with an amen too, you are endorsing it. Yeah. But Jesus, interestingly enough, uses this at the start. Now, what is he trying to say? He's basically trying to say, believe me, this is true. How can he say that? Because he already knows what's going to happen. So when he says truly, truly, he's basically saying, believe me, this is true. I know it is true firsthand. So I think it's important to take a look at um, some of these truly, truly statements that Jesus makes, and there are seven of them. Okay. Um, again, I'm going to put it as uh, claims that Jesus makes, um, commands that Jesus gives, promises or, or covenants that Jesus makes, and cautions that Jesus gives to us as well. Okay. So the claims, uh, 13 verse 16, Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If Jesus is a servant, we need to be servants too. Truly, truly, I say to you, this is in chapter 13, verse 20, whoever receives the one I send receives me, and whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. We are received by God the Father because we have received Jesus, and we are servants because Jesus is a servant. Okay, A promise or covenant. Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. Promise, it's going to be rough going. There will be tears, and you will lament, but there will also be joy. And Jesus promises that, despite the tears and lament. 16 verse 23, I say to you, Whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Now, I need to bring this into context. Because if you read it carefully, um, some verses before that, it also says, abide in me, and whatever you ask, you will receive. So, remember, don't just read a single Bible verse, or just read a Bible verse. Um, so, it's in the context of abide in me. Okay? If you abide in him, he will give what you ask for. Um, command, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. Greater works than these he will, will he do, because I am going to the Father. That's a command. Do the work that Jesus did. Jesus was a servant. Yeah? Warnings, 
truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. Okay? That's referring to Judas, but I think the lesson for us is that some will fall off. Some will backslide. Some will, you know, uh, disappear from the church, perhaps. And finally, uh, 13 verse 38, the last caution. Will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. Uh, again, uh, as I mentioned earlier on, Peter is trying to uh, remain faithful in Jesus in his own strength. Yeah, that He would be willing to die for Jesus as well in his own strength. But Jesus is correcting Peter here. Don't do it in your own strength. Um, so, I think when you consider this, I think the instructions are very, very clear. Okay. Um, the instruction is that um, we are to uh, serve because Jesus is the servant. Right. And I do also want to end this division with a hope. And if you take a look at 16 verse 33, it says, I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Okay? Jesus is telling us all these things so that we may anticipate it, and so that we also know that he is in control, and because he is in control, we can have peace. Okay? And in this world that we live in, when we are associated to Jesus, we will have tribulation, but he has overcome everything. Okay. Facts of a Christian life, we are called to obey and to serve. Okay. Why do we do this? We do it out of devotion and love for Jesus. We are not doing this because we want to earn someone else's acknowledgement that we faithfully serve. No. Uh, we're not doing this so that we can earn our salvation, so that Jesus would let us sit on his right or left hand? Absolutely not. We are doing this because we love Jesus and serving is an outward sign that we love him. The principle for this division, rise, let us go from here because we have hope. Yeah, we have hope. I want to I want to give you one last, well, not last, but I want to close off this division with this illustration, right? I want to compare Peter with Judas, right? I want to compare Peter with Judas. So they have a lot of commonalities and they have differences as well too. So let me just run through the commonalities, okay? First commonality, both of them knew Jesus intimately. They've walked with Jesus for three and a half years. Both of them knew that Jesus loved them too, right? Uh, in, in the case of the two of them, Jesus already knew that they would betray him. Judas betrayed him by uh, giving false testimony so that Jesus would be hung. Peter betrayed him by denying him three times before the rooster crows. Okay? Both felt remorse after they had sinned. Yeah? Uh, and it's clearly written for us. But what's interesting is that after they have sinned, and this is where they, they, they depart, Judas stayed away from Jesus. Okay, He stayed away from Jesus. He could not bear the heaviness of that guilt feeling he had after sinning. right? And he felt absolutely hopeless. And in that situation, in that condition, he ended his life. Peter, on the other hand, he was remorse, as was Judas, but he returned to Jesus. He didn't roam away. He didn't isolate himself. He was still with the disciples. Okay? He repented. Yeah? And when he repented, the load of sin was removed. There's a passage, and I can't remember where, but when Jesus was resurrected, uh, Jesus told Mary, I think this is in John, told Mary, Please tell Peter that I have resurrected. Specifically Peter. Why? Because Jesus knew Peter was heartbroken by his denial. Okay. 
So there's also hope. When 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 Peter uh, repented and his sins were forgiven, he was hopeful. Yeah, and he surrendered his life to Jesus, and he devoted the remaining parts of his life to serving God. And you know what? Peter died on the cross as well. Too tradition has it that he was hung upside down because he didn't feel worthy to be hung in the same way that Jesus did. Right? So I want to just bring this cycle of grace, I call it. Yeah? You fail in sin. We all do. You repent from sin. And I think the toughest part when you repent is going back to Jesus and saying to Jesus, I'm sorry. Going back to the community and being held accountable by the community in your repentance, right? But when you repent and you return to Jesus, you will experience forgiveness and the weight, the guilt feeling of sin is removed. And then you realize, wow, I have hope. I have hope in Jesus. My condition is wretched, but Jesus don't see me that way. And out of that, you will then begin to obey Jesus and you begin to serve him not out of trying to earn his favor no but because you've realized that he forgives you and he gives you that hope right and you fall again in sin um, and this cycle goes on but each iteration that goes on each time you fail the depth of realizing that hope grows deeper and deeper um, grace and generosity goes hand in hand. The grace of God that he gives us, forgiveness of sin, um, the, the favor that he gives us uh, that's undeserving, is called grace. Uh, grace and generosity goes hand in hand. Okay, We serve generously. How do you respond to God uh, for saving us? We serve generously. We give generously. Okay. Important to note, um, someone asked, uh, won't you be taken for granted if you give and you serve generously? Perhaps. Yeah, perhaps. Um, and we are asked to, to discern uh, not to be taken for granted. Yeah. Uh, Jesus says, don't give pearls to the pigs. Um, but also at the same time, we are also asked to err on generosity. Okay. Jesus healed many people. Not everyone appreciated it. Okay? Some people appreciated and responded in devotion. Some people walked away. Right? The church has many needs. I think the question really is, how will you respond to it? Okay? Let me close with this final um, illustration. Final illustration. Um, if you have watched the movie The Arrival, um, then this would be no surprise to you. If you haven't watched the movie The Arrival, please close your ears. Right? Please close your ears. Spoiler alerts here. Uh, I've watched it. I've watched it quite a few times, and I like the movie. The movie starts off with uh, uh, Dr. Louis Banks having a a memory, right? Um, and she uh, the memory starts with this. Uh, she's just given birth to a baby, and she's holding the baby's. Uh, uh, in, in her arm and giving thanks for the baby. She's filled with emotion. And then it progresses. Uh, the, the baby grows up into a, a little girl, playful little girl. And here they're depicting uh, Dr. Louise Banks uh, playing cowboy with the little girl. Okay. And as the girl grows up, she's diagnosed with a terminal disease. Yeah, And Dr. Louise Banks is heartbroken when she's given the news that her daughter would die. And in this final scene of the memory, uh, the child dies, and Dr. Louise Banks is there beside her in the hospital. It's a heartbreaking uh, memory, for sure. At the end of the movie, it is told that that memory is not from the past. It's actually a vision from the future. She has somehow acquired the ability to see the future. Right, um, and the movie asks the question at the end: If you could see your whole life from start to finish, would you change things? 
Dr. Louise Banks responded, Despite knowing the journey and where it leads, I embrace it and I welcome every moment of it. Try putting yourself in Jesus' feet. Okay? Uh, ask, you know, Jesus might have asked the question, if you could see yourself, if you could see your whole life from start to finish, would you change things? Life as in Jesus, life on earth, that is. Jesus is God. He's said Alpha, the Omega. Um, but life on earth, right? Uh, would he change things? And Jesus, my take is, he responded, despite knowing the journey and where it leads, I embrace it. I welcome every moment of it. That's how Jesus, I think, would have responded. Put yourself into it. If you could see your whole life from start to finish, would you change things? In many ways, Jesus has already given us a glimpse of what life is going to be like. If we are believers, we abide in Jesus. We will obey him. We will serve and love others. right? And as we do that, there will be challenges. But Jesus gives us promises to claim on, to cling on. He makes claims that we could hold on to. And he gives us caution of things that may come towards us, uh, things that can go wrong or things, uh, mistakes that we can make, for example. Okay? If you could see yourself, if you could see your whole life from start to finish, would you change things? I hope you will say, despite knowing the journey and where it leads, despite all the trials um, and all the challenges in serving, in obeying, in abiding in Jesus, I embrace it and I welcome every moment of it. How will you respond to God's call today? Church, I charge you, rise, let us go from here because we have hope. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I just want to thank you for your message. I pray, Lord, that you would convict my heart and the heart of Harvest KL to rise because we have hope. We have hope in you. Uh, we just pray, Lord, that we would never take our eyes off the hope, even when we have failed, and that when we have failed, we will run to you even more fervently. I pray, Lord, that you will help us to respond. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you very much.